Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 547, Into the Mystery. This week, we're going to get a first-hand glimpse into a church gathering from the year 150 AD. We'll see how the Eucharist was central to their gatherings, and we'll begin to understand how the Lord's Supper is an invitation for us to participate in the Incarnation. So here we go with our furthering study of Matthew chapter 26. Hello, everyone. We're back together again this week on episode 47. Who would have believed it on our journey through Matthew's gospel? And today we're going to be looking at uh, a total of five verses, and in fact, really just four. Uh, We began with what took place in the upper room last week, and now we are going to go to when the Lord instituted Uh, the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to jump right in uh, at verse 26 of chapter 26. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine that uh, until that day when we drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out uh, to the Mount of Olives. The Last Supper, uh, we have embraced that as the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, different terminologies for for the same thing. And um, in fact, I may find myself inadvertently flipping back and forth between the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, but I'm referring to this one event. Um, and you know, it stands at the center of our Christian faith. For the historic church, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, was the central event of all gatherings. And, you know, it's the same today in much of the church, many traditions, the Anglican, uh, the Lutheran, the Roman Catholic, the Orthodox. The entire gathering focused upon, and does in those traditions today, focuses on and moves toward the bread and the cup. They are the climax of the gathering. Now, I'm going to spend this whole episode on just four verses because I'm convinced that for much of the 21st century church, and I would have to say especially the Protestant evangelical church, we need to recapture both the centrality and the great mystery of the Eucharist. More than any other episode in this long series on Matthew, I'm going to be quoting from church fathers and early church historical documents because uh, they reflect what was once a universal understanding of the great significance of the Lord's Supper. From the beginning of the church, the central focus of their gathering was the breaking of bread. We see in, in Acts 2 that, that when describing early church life, and they broke bread together. 
Here's a Eucharistic prayer, a prayer that was said in their gatherings in the earliest days. It's from the Didache, which I introduced to you last week. We thank you. Here's the prayer. We thank you, our Father, for the Holy One of David, your servant, to you. Uh, pardon me. Let me say that again. We thank you, our Father, for the Holy Vine of David, your servant, to you be glory forever. And concerning the broken bread, we thank you, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. Even as this broken bread was scattered over the hills and was gathered together and became one, so let your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. This, this is a beautiful prayer that was part of their liturgy, part of their, their weekly coming together. Now, for the first three centuries of the church, the Eucharist was celebrated uh, in houses and in homes of Christians. And in fact, in times of severe persecution, these celebrations couldn't even happen in homes. It wasn't safe enough. They were in the catacombs. They were in remote and hidden places. But at other times, they were able to gather openly uh, in their homes. One of the early church fathers, St. Justin Martyr, he described the Eucharist, this gathering, uh, around the year 150. So we're getting really close to the beginning of it all. And he wrote this, On Sunday, we have a common assembly of all our members, whether they live in the city or in the outlying districts. The recollections of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as there is time. When the reader has finished, the leader of the assembly speaks to us. He urges everyone to imitate the examples of virtue we have heard in the readings. Then we all stand up together and we pray. On the conclusion of our prayer, bread and wine and water are brought forward. The leader offers prayers and gives thanks to the best of his ability, and the people give assent by saying, Amen. The Eucharist is then distributed. Everyone present participates, and the deacons then take it to those who are absent. So from early times, we see the structure of the liturgy, of the gathering, was the Word and the Eucharist. This was established right from the beginning. Now, the celebration of the Lord's Supper was, for the early Christians, an extremely solemn occasion. The Church Father Cyril describes the, the bread as more precious than gold or costly gems and admonishes the believers not to let a crumb of it fall to the ground. Again, here is a quote from Justin Martyr uh, around 150 AD. This food we call Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to participate except one who believes that the things we teach are true, and has received the washing for forgiveness of sins and for rebirth, that's baptism, and who lives according to the way Christ handed down to us. For we do not receive these things as common bread or common drink, but as Jesus Christ, our Savior, being incarnate by God's word, took flesh and blood for our salvation, so also we have been taught that the food consecrated by the word of prayer which comes from him, from which our flesh and blood are nourished by transformation, 
is the flesh and blood of the incarnate Jesus. We need to take a few minutes and look at the whole issue of the connection between the incarnation and the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. The key incarnational scripture, of course, is in John's prologue, John 1.14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The great incarnational text is foundational for a, a right understanding of what is taking place at the Lord's Supper. <coughs> Pardon me. When we partake of the bread and the cup, we are joining with all believers in declaring the, the cross, the power and truth of the cross. In other words, we are looking back. Secondly, uh, his ongoing and indwelling presence we're participating in at that moment, and so we're looking at the present. And we're looking forward to the great anticipated truth of Jesus coming again and therefore our eternal fellowship with him. So we've got past, present, and future all coming together in the Eucharist. Whenever we participate in the Lord's Supper, the word becomes flesh. The bread and wine become his body and blood. And I've got quite a bit I want to point out on this. One of the early church fathers we often come to in this series, Origen, I think he had a real revelation of how the Eucharist connects us directly and powerfully and intimately with the incarnational reality of Christ. He said this, That bread, which God the Word confesses to be his own body, is the Word that nourishes souls. It is the Word proceeding from God, the very bread that comes from the living bread, which is set out upon our tables, of which it was written, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And of course, that's Psalm 23. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. The Word, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Word proceeds from the Father. And in the Eucharist, that same word now proceeds and reaches out to us, and it's made tangible in us. If you just think about that, meditate on that sometime, and you'll, you'll I think, get a greater understanding of the power of what's happening at the Lord's table. In the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, there is union with Christ and the Trinity, because, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the Lord's Supper, because the Word comes to us and the Word proceeds from the Father, when we participate, we are engaging accurately, uh, actively rather, uh, and in union with the entire triune God. I want you to notice something here. Again, we see how the church fathers teach us to see Christ in the Old Testament, right? As Origen just did in that verse from Psalm 23. In fact, Origen goes on to write, the bread is the word of Christ made from that kernel which falling into the good ground brought forth much fruit. That's John 12, 24, unless a kernel of wheat falls in the ground, it remains of itself alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Likewise, 
Origen wrote about the cup. He said this, the drink which God the Word confesses to be his blood is the word that gives refreshment and exhilarates the heart. This drink is the fruit of the true vine, the blood of that grape cast into the winepress of the passion. And this, of course, takes us right back to that famous passage in John 15, where Jesus said on that farewell discourse this same last night with his disciples, John tells us this, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. Abide in me as I abide in you. I'm in the vine and you, I am the vine, he says, and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, other church fathers see in Jesus' words, a reference again here to Psalm 23. My cup overflows. They, they look and they see Christ in, in the table being prepared and in the cup overflowing. Beyond a remembrance, beyond a ceremony, the Eucharist is the power of true spiritual food that empowers us and sustains us with the very life of Christ. In the Eucharist, Jesus touches us physically. This is why he said, my flesh is true blood. You know, I was interested to see that the early reformer, John Calvin, wrote this. It it surprised me. He said, the body needs both food and drink for nourishment and sustenance. Christ, to teach us that he alone is sufficient to supply all things that belong to our salvation, he makes himself our food and drink. At the Lord's Supper, Jesus gave himself as the true lamb. This meal was his Passover. Historically, the, the, the night they gathered was the preparation, the night of the preparation for the Passover. It was Thursday night, as many of us know. But for him, who was going to the cross the next day, although the disciples didn't realize that, for him, this meal was his Passover. And he brought the Passover to its true and final meaning. I know I'm giving you a lot today, but uh, if need be, Go back and listen again, or or take note of, of some of the quotes and scriptures I give you. So let's take a few minutes and look at, at the elements, the bread and the wine. Verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, there's many layers of meaning of what's going on here. At the, at the traditional Passover meal, it was the Father who broke the Passover bread. And it's our Heavenly Father who gives us everything we need for life. The, the, the earth's bounty, all its goodness, comes from the Father. Secondly, in Jewish culture, breaking bread is a gesture of hospitality. It says that the the stranger is given a place at the table. He is welcomed into table fellowship, and he is given a share of what is the family's. I think this has great significance for us as the church. 
And then thirdly, traditionally, breaking and distributing bread creates community. This was the the Jewish understanding. You know, my son Tim and I led a team to India a few years ago, and and we had one day where we did uh, we we went and did a little bit of of visiting some of the the key sites in 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 the city of Amritsar, which is the most holy city of the of the Sikh faith, and and we got to go into a place where there'd been a terrible massacre and to pray. Uh, together and people began to come. And in fact, it even made the news that never crossed our minds as we repented on behalf of of Britain for the atrocities done in that very spot. And and, uh, people actually wept and it was a powerful time. But also as part of that day, we went into the Golden Temple, uh, which is the main temple for the Sikh faith. And you may be surprised to know that they feed about 70,000 people a day, whoever comes, eats. And we, uh, Tim and I, and uh, our dear brother, Randeep, we were together with one or two others. And we were, there, there was a few thousand people sitting. And they come by and they gave us the food. I noticed they looked us right in the eye and they just blessed us. It was really something. And it was a pretty profound experience for us in this Sikh temple. And Randeep said something that I have never forgotten. He looked at Tim and I and he said, You know, when we eat together, no one is poor. So I just wanted to share that with you because there's something in the Eucharistic dinner, meal, the Lord's Supper, of us eating together and no one is poor. Because Jesus gave himself, this act of breaking bread is also our participation in his incarnation. When Paul quoted Jesus to the Corinthian church, he wrote, this is my body which is broken for you. And this is key for us. I'm sure that Paul wanted to emphasize that. That's how he structured the sentence. Jesus gives us his broken presence. The church needs to remember his brokenness. Sometimes we skip quickly. On, on Easter weekend, we skip too quickly through, through the cross, through Friday, and we overlook Saturday completely in our hurry to get to Sunday, the resurrection. But, but we need to embrace our broken Savior. You know, you remember that that in in Revelation five, when when John turned, uh, because behold, the the lion uh, of Judah, of the tribe of Judah, he turned expecting to see a lion, and what did he see? A slain lamb. When we share our brokenness in honesty, healing takes place in us, both as individuals and corporately. So I feel another aspect of the Lord's Supper is that it takes us right back to the foundation we laid at the beginning of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. It says he breaks the bread and he gave it to his disciples. I want you to notice something here. The Lord's Supper is a gift to us. It comes down to us. It is not a sacrifice from us. To him, 
Oh, and, and you know, we can come dangerously close to making that mistake that it's from us to him. Lord, we love you. Here we are. We're doing this for you. When we focus too much on the do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is not something we do for the Lord. It is receiving the gift of Christ's very life. This is its wonder and its power. I'm going to quote Calvin again. Let us remember that this sacred feast is medicine for the sick, solace for sinners, and alms to the poor. Folks, this is not a ceremony. This is not a ritual. This is not something we just do the the first Sunday of every month or whatever your church tradition is. In the Lord's Supper, it is divine life of Christ, and I would say of the Trinity, the life of the triune God being received. Pope Francis said this. I warned you, you'd be getting a lot of quotes today. The bread and the wine are not prizes or rewards for good behavior. Rather, they are food for the human journey and medicine for the sick. We receive the bread and the wine because we are wounded. I think also in the, in the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of, of, of Christ emptying himself. And he invites us into his brokenness. So, let's go back together right now to rediscover what the historic church and its teachers understood. Because once again, we'll see, as one of the themes through this whole series of of learning the literal reading, the moral reading, and the spiritual or water-to-wine reading, And I think we have wonderful examples of the water to wine here. Did you know that the early church and the church fathers referred to the Lord's Supper as the great mystery? The starting point for the church fathers was always John 6. And here's a few verses, 53 to 55. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person up at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Jesus is the bread of heaven. Jesus is the bread of life. The risen one gives himself fully to us in the Eucharist. It's resurrection food. The early church and the fathers said that Jesus is living bread because his body is composed of the whole life of the cosmos. Colossians 1.17 says he holds everything together. His body is composed of the whole life of the cosmos that is kneaded together. His life permeates all of the cosmos including the human race, of course. One of the church fathers, Ignatius, called the Eucharist the leaven of immortality. Beloved, it needs to be received in faith, but its power is objective and independent of our attitude toward it. 
Our attitude, however, is very important because it, it, it can, our attitude can restrict or it can encourage the, the spread of the, the Eucharistic fire, the divine life of Christ throughout our soul and body. The church father Cyril said this, Christ himself declared, speaking of the bread, this is my body. Who then will hesitate in future? And when he himself asserts categorically, this is my blood, who will doubt it and say it is not his blood? Unless you think that that Cyril's in the minority, he was in almost the universal majority. Uh, Ambrose, another early church father, the Lord Jesus himself testifies to us that we receive his body and his blood. Should we doubt at all about his faith and testimony? One of the things that I I often find myself meditating on, there's many things I do uh, in the Eucharist, but it is... Uh, as the bread is broken, it reminds me of John 14, 20, where Jesus said, I'm in the Father, you're in me, I'm in you. This incredible, incredible intimacy that I've referred to a few times through this series. Since Gregory of Nyssa said this, since bread is absorbed by the body, it becomes the body itself. Of course, when you eat a hamburger, it is absorbed and becomes part of your body. When I take in the bread, even more than remembering Christ's sacrifice as a sacrament, I am receiving the bread of heaven, the very body of Jesus, into myself, and therefore an incarnational unity with him. Folks, I know I'm coming at this hard and again and again, but I think we've got to break down some walls today. I think we need to discover new depths. I, need, I think this is connected with my conviction that the gospel is bigger and more beautiful than we ever thought. So that's why I'm going hard at this today. In the Eucharist, Jesus is giving us his full humanity as well as his divinity. This is my body. We... Now, many months ago, I talked to you about something called hypostasis, which is about the incarnation. Jesus is fully God and fully man, 100% of both at the same time. The Eucharist embodies this because the bread is made up of two elements. One is literal, is earthly, and one is heavenly. The bread is fully Christ's body and bread. Let's look for a little bit at the wine. Then Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I think you would know that uh, throughout all of Scripture, covenants were always ratified by bloodshed. Uh, You can think of many, many examples. Um, I think... Uh, Genesis, I think, 17, again and again and again by bloodshed. Like the new and now fully realized Passover, we now have a fully realized covenant. That's why he said this is the new covenant. You know, Moses 
in establishing the covenant, Moses sprinkled blood on the altar and even on the people. But that covenant was broken by the people. Jeremiah, many centuries later, looking ahead to this time, said this in in Jeremiah 31, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is the establishment of that new covenant. Now, from the early days, the fathers recognized that there was something deeply identificational about the Lord's Supper, identifying with all those who have died unjustly. A few weeks ago, in uh, chapter 23, we looked at the scripture, verse 35, And so upon you will come the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. The first murder and the last one in the Old Testament. I think that in taking his blood, we're also identifying with those who have suffered and do suffer. It's like when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, we are praying, Lord, please let your let the daily bread come to your people. In the Eucharist, in the Eucharist we're uniting with the unjust suffering of the world. I've been very aware of that the last couple of weeks. As I have taken the bread and the wine, I'm aware of my Ukrainian brothers and sisters in the broadest sense. Because Christ is fully incarnate in the world, when he says, this is my blood, this is all my blood. You see, there's nothing outside of Christ. This is all my blood. What's going on in Kiev today? Jesus in the Eucharist is identifying with it. And therefore, he's giving all bloodshed an eternal significance. Another point in in these verses is that of unity of the church. Um, Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 10, 17, Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf. This is another way that the Eucharist integrates us into the body of Christ. John Christostom, let us learn the wonder of this sacrament. We become a single body, according to the scriptures, members of his flesh and bone, in, uh, of his flesh and bone, of his bones. This is what is brought about by the food that he gives us. He blends himself with us so that we may all become one single Unity. There is something in the invisible realm. There is something in the spirit that happens through Eucharist that unites our spirits, not only with Christ, but with him, with one another. So when Jesus here is instituting the, the, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, what he's really doing is he is founding the church. Right at that moment, in that upper room, that's the founding of the church. With his words, Jesus gave the disciples something totally new that bound them together and made them into a community. It was through the Eucharist that the church 
from the beginning, the church became one. Therefore, the very elements of the Eucharist reflect the one another, the unity of his body. You know, when we are engaged in the Lord's Supper, there is so much going on. There are so many levels of significance and spiritual activity. I, I encourage us to hold together the vertical, as I said earlier, Christ coming down to us, but also the horizontal, that, that we are bound together. Remember last week, um, I gave you a passage from the Didache, that, that early writing of the church. And on the Lord's own day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanks, first confessing your transgressions that you may sacrifice, uh, that your sacrifice may be pure. I want to take us back for a minute to something I said last week. That question that the disciples all asked when he said, somebody is about to betray me, they all said, is it I, Lord? And as I said to you last week, in terms of the horizontal of what's going on in the Eucharist, is it I, Lord, can be our question to Jesus before we take part in communion. We can make this practical by allowing time before the actual taking of the elements, not only for self-examination, but confession, uh, reconciliation with others. I, when I was pastoring, I would do this, and, and the people just mingled because there's stuff that needs to be cleared up. First John teaches us that as his body, we must walk in the light. So I think the Lord's Supper gives us the vital opportunity to make this real and practical. St. Cyprian said this, when the Lord calls his body bread, made from the collection of a large number of grains, he is pointing to the unity of our people. And when he calls his blood wine, which is pressed from a large number of clusters of grapes to form a single liquid, do you hear that? He signifies that our flock is made up of a multitude gathered together in unity. The early church saw its unity to be like the unity of bread and wine, grain and grapes that had to be crushed in order to bring out their true value. One last aspect briefly, and then we'll wrap this up. The Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, points to something called the parousia, the, the second coming of Christ. Verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So, the Eucharist also points us forward to Christ's return. I briefly mentioned that earlier. I, to the summing up of all things in Christ, as Paul said to the Ephesians. It's interesting. You, you know, the, the word in the Greek is parousia, and it means two things. It means both the coming, in this case, the coming of Christ, the second coming, but also the presence of Christ. Both are met, and both are declared in the Lord's Supper. Part of that whole Eucharistic uh, liturgy was at the end, the church would say, Maranatha, Lord, come. It was specifically a Eucharistic prayer in the early church, 
and it reflected what the declaration of Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. This points forward to that. These are the true words that come from God. Bread sustains. Wine gladdens the heart. The Eucharist is a mystery. And at one level, we take it with soberness. We come to it seriously. We don't just say, anybody who wants to just cut. No. But it is also a celebration looking forward to the end of all things, the union of all things. It's interesting, the last verse in the passage today is, they sang a hymn. It's the only time Matthew mentions music in his whole uh, gospel. They sang a hymn, and then they went to the Mount of Olives. So there is a joy as we come through the Eucharist. So let me wrap this up. The Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, is both an intimate and a divine encounter. When it's received as Christ offers it, 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 it's heart to heart. It takes us deeper into Christ. In the Eucharist, we move beyond talking about the mystery of Christ. We enter into this mystery. We literally chew on this ministry on this mystery. Uh, in, in John 6, the one who chews on my flesh is the word. We've translated it as eat. We, we fully participate in the incarnational mystery of Christ. Now, with all my heart, as is now obvious, I believe that the real presence of Christ is in the bread and the wine. I think to pull back from this, either consciously or even unconsciously weakens my walk with God. I need the life of Christ to come and strengthen me again and again and again. This is because the bread and the wine are his real presence in me. Christ is incarnate in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1 says. Folks, if I gradually move away from this, if I loosen my hold on this truth and it becomes something I do with the rest of the church once a month to remember, if it becomes, as I said earlier, that offering, see, we're remembering you, Jesus, then I think that ultimately I lose something of my awareness and the vitality of his presence within me. This is our truest being. This is the truth on which we live and move and have our being. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 10, When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. It is supernatural. Let me finish, <laughs> of course, let me finish with a quote from another church father, St. Cyril, God infuses into the things set before us the power of life. He transforms them into the effectiveness of his flesh, that we may have them for a life-giving participation. The body of life thus might be found in us, a life-producing seed. Do not doubt that this is true. 
For Christ plainly says, this is my body, this is my blood. In faith, receive the Savior's word. Since he is the truth, he cannot lie. Although we cannot understand how God does that, yet he himself knows the ways of his works. So I gave you an awful lot today. And you may need to listen more than once. But I think this is incredibly, incredibly important for the church. God bless you. Uh, In a minute or two, Tim and I will be together to just talk about some of the implications of this. Now what? The gospel is meant to be lived. We now invite you to be a part of the discussion as we talk about how to apply this teaching. YouTube viewers can use the comments section below. You can also email your questions and comments to podcast at impactnations.com. Oh, well, a lot to take in there. Yeah. Uh, really helpful history. I love that glimpse into uh, church life at the year 150 AD. Wow. Uh, a really clear picture of what a church gathering was. Yeah. Uh, really yeah. neat. Um, I want to spend some time asking the question in a few minutes, basically, uh, what must we do? Uh, you know, how does this, what do we do now with, with this, uh, newfound understanding depth uh, of what's happening incarnationally, uh, with the Eucharist. Um, before we do that, I want to, I want to talk to our listeners a little bit about what's going on in India right now. We Mm. mentioned it uh, a few weeks ago, I think. Um, but we're getting more information by the day. Uh, so I want to talk to you about it. Uh, we're getting a lot of people asking us about Ukraine, by the way, and what we can be doing in Ukraine. We're working on that. We we are working some back channels to see if we can get some something happening there. We are with the rest of the world watching and praying, uh, watching in horror at what's happening in Ukraine uh, and seeing all of the refugees fleeing there. Yeah. Uh, but there's another refugee crisis that's, that's happening that folks – uh, either probably forgotten about or may not even be aware of. Um, you recall uh, at the end of August in 2021 uh, when the United States Army left Afghanistan and Taliban took over, there was just a mass exodus uh, from that nation. Uh, and many refugees from Afghanistan ended up in Delhi, India. Um, and as as our listeners know, we do a lot of work in northern India. Uh, and so we have been feeding some of these refugees. We've actually been working with two different colonies. Um, these are folks living in rundown apartment buildings, uh, many of them three families to uh, an apartment. Uh, and things are getting very, very desperate, uh, more desperate than the last time we talked about it. Uh, our team has been down there, I think, at least three times uh, to feed them. Uh, and every time they're back... Uh, it's really interesting, actually. They're building more and more relationship with these families uh, in a really powerful way, actually. Uh, and yet the level of desperation that they see each time uh, increases. Um, these are folks who brought with them savings from Afghanistan, mostly in the form of gold, actually. Mm. And they've been spending those savings, uh, and the savings have run out. They are being charged rent and... Uh, and they have to pay for the utilities in those buildings. Um, and, 
and when they're all done, there's very little left. Uh, in fact, Isaiah's got a video that uh, they've put together for us. Uh, it's just a minute and 45 seconds or so, I think, and it really gives a good glimpse into what life is like right now for these refugees. So uh, if you're watching, uh, Isaiah is going to um, put that in the uh, in the YouTube feed here for you now. Um and if you're listening, we're not going to share that with you just because it's mostly in a different language with subtitles, and that won't that won't help you if you're listening. But so you can see in that video um, just the brokenness that yes. we're facing, uh, and I I couldn't help but think of it honestly uh, today as you were sharing about the the brokenness of Christ, the brokenness of His body, and how in entering into the Eucharist we are we are participating in His brokenness and the brokenness around the world yes. uh, in the way that He participates in our brokenness. Uh, and so we've got to do something. Uh, we must do something. Uh, yeah. We have been feeding and will continue to feed. Uh, we bottom line, we've got a, we've set a budget of a hundred thousand dollars to feed two hundred families uh, for the next many months, about six months. But at the same time, working on sustainable solutions. The, it, it's amazing, actually. Uh, we heard from Randeep this week uh, in Zoom as we were meeting with him, and he said, "You know, we bring them food, and they say thank you, but it's not what we want. I mean, we need it." But it's, we don't want this. We want to work. Uh, those who are working are being completely exploited because yes. they're they're not working. They they don't have the certificate to do what they're doing. That it's not, um, you know, they didn't gain employment through the proper channels or through the regular channels because they're not allowed to, and so they're being way underpaid, way underpaid, completely exploited. I would say it's on the verge of slavery, uh, and they want to work. They want to earn a living. They want to have dignity, and so we're going to help them get that. We're raising a hundred thousand uh, dollars to uh, get them the training that they need, get them uh, small business startup loans, so that they can go and take the skills and experience that they had from Afghanistan and go and begin to establish themselves in Delhi. Uh, at the same time, by the way, we've got teams, uh, other NGOs, we're partnering with in the legal aspect to get them the proper standing, the proper immigration status, so that they can work uh, outside of Delhi. Right now, they are their living quarters are contained. The reason they live where they do is because they're not allowed to live anywhere else. They've been told by the Indian government, "You must stay in this location." Yeah, and I've seen pictures of it. It's dreadful. It's, it's horrific. Now, yeah. is it is it one collection? Uh, of it's, Afghans? Yeah, or? it's it's 200 families in this one location. That's where we're primarily focused right now. Uh, and uh, of those, many, many, uh, we believe uh, in the first round of small business training uh, are going to get that training. They're going to get the mentorship. They're going to get startup loans so that they can go and get started. And these are folks who already have work experience. Like they come into the yeah. nation with loads of experience. They came in, uh, they had an entire life in, in Afghanistan yeah. and it was robbed from them immediately. Much like what we're seeing in, in Ukraine right now. Um, so uh, please help us. Uh, if you'd like to learn more, if you want to give, head to impactnations.com slash refugee. Uh, this, is a, this is a massive part of what we do. This is it a massive is. part of who we are as an Impact Nations family. Uh, and it's a massive part of what God has called us to participate in, uh, in the body of Christ. Uh, so I'd encourage you, head there. Uh, give today. Tell others about it. Uh, it's a big goal, but the need is massive, and it's only getting bigger by the day. It is, uh, and that that video just showed us uh, just horrific arithmetic. Yes, you yeah. know, uh, to to get seventy eight dollars for a, a month's work, yeah. which is of course less than half of what's legal, mm -hmm. and then 
to be charged the rent and the utilities have nothing. There's nothing. Left and these families are, t- are typically four, five, six kids. So it's 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 200 families, but it's probably 1,000, 1,500 people yeah. that are not, oh, it's getting tough, but there's nothing there. there yeah, there's nothing. And they're, yeah. they're now facing violence uh, from those that they have borrowed money from to pay their rent. Yeah. Uh, they are facing eviction. Uh, so soon they may find themselves homeless. The, the need is now, uh, which brings me to my final point. We're we're looking to raise that hundred dollars, hundred thousand dollars by April first, so we can get there, help them to help to feed them because April first their rents due again, and so that there'll be nothing left to feed uh, their families. So we're going to get there to feed them, uh, but then also to build towards the future, so that we're not having to continue to to feed them, and instead we're bringing them dignity. We're bringing them uh, the the hope that they said desperately need which is the model that has worked so beautifully for us in uh, other parts of india in nepal in uganda yeah we've got uh business leaders from delhi who are standing by waiting to mentor people in small business in india so to help them culturally and things like that to understand so The opportunity is amazing. Uh, we'd really would love for you to participate. Impactnations.com slash refugee to learn more about that. Okay. Wow. Um, the Eucharist. I, I want to start with this one question, actually. You, very early in your teaching today, you talked about, uh, you, you gave us uh, a quote from uh, Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr, yeah. Uh, and it talked about the... Um, I'm going to just say it. It felt like an exclusiveness to yes. to the Eucharist. Like this, the, it is reserved for those who are baptized believers, to put it shortly. It's true. Um, now, here in this space, we often talk about um, or warn against exclusivity. Yep. You know, we say uh, religion is exclusive, gospel is inclusive. Um, can you help us just with that tension there yeah. in terms of the exclusivity of the Eucharist? I can try. I can't really break the tension. But um, in the early church, of course, they met house to house. They met every day probably. Mm-hmm. And it was it was through that what we call a house church model that um, people were coming to Christ, shared life, the things we've talked about. They've, they they just loved the lifestyle. They loved the people. Then they fell in love with the one that the people loved, mm-hmm. Jesus. But um, pretty early on, the holiness, as it were, the significance, the solemnity of uh, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, uh, was such that it, it was, this is for you if you have turned... To Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, given all that I tried to share today, one would have to have given their life over to Christ to not only understand, but I think in one sense receive benefit, right? And uh, and and I did say near the end, and I'm trying to remember if I was quoting Ambrose, but that that. That our faith, our level of faith, if we say, no, no, this is just a, a thing we do in remembrance, then that's about what you get. Hmm. Uh, whereas if we enter into what's really going on, we receive that. But I can't break it for you. I can't say, oh, no, that was a mistake that everybody could have. No. Mm-hmm. But everybody, they were in a place to receive the gospel all week mm-hmm. in homes. Yeah. Um, 
I wondered if you might be able to help us out with something. We, uh, I think many of our listeners are in a position where they find themselves um, administering the Eucharist, mm-hmm. uh, uh, hosting communion, if you will, yep. uh, whether that's in a church service, in a, in a small group setting. How, in light of what we've heard today, w- could you walk us through maybe some things that they could incorporate into that, the, the delivery of, of the Lord's Supper? Whew. Okay. I would definitely start where the church fathers started, which is actually not in Matthew 26, but in John 6, mm. uh, where, where Jesus declared that powerful incarnational truth. And so I would encourage them to take a little time and, and study that and think about that. Um, I would, um, coming off of that passage... Um, John 6, especially 53 to 55, I would point out to people that this is what Jesus said. And and you could actually take some of the quotes, and there were more from church fathers that basically said, if Jesus says this is my body, what are we doubting? Hmm. You know, I gave one of those quotes or two of them today, I think. But there's just a, a, a raft. So let them begin to understand the depth of what they're entering into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would do that. Uh, maybe, if I may say so, maybe use a little bit of what I taught today as an outline because yeah. the unity part's really important. It's it's profoundly vertical, although down to us, not us, up to them. Yeah. You see, yeah. the, the, the fear of focusing on do this in remembrance of me. I'm not saying ignore it. Jesus said that. Mm-hmm. But... In in much of the Protestant tradition, we focused on that. It is very close to us saying, see, we're remembering, we're doing <laughs> yeah. this for yeah. you, Jesus. Yeah. And that's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would do that, and I would very much focus on the horizontal. You know, I loved from uh, the Didache, um, from several church fathers, that whole thing of the bre- what's bread? It's wheat that's crushed. Yeah. What's wine? It's grapes that are crushed. One yes. of the church fathers said they were crushed in the passion. Yes. Right? Yeah. And um, so I think that, that that takes us deeper and that we're one loaf. I love that, that passage of, you know, the, the, the wheat's out on the hills, but it's been gathered. Yeah. Um, and then to make it practical, uh, I purposely repeated myself from last week. It, is it I, Lord? Yeah. A time of reflection, but also to recognize that we need clearly, Paul makes it crystal clear, by implication John does, but but crystal clear that if we're going to move into this and all that it means, mm-hmm. uh, there's got to be the horizontal, which means transparency. Yeah. We've got to walk in the light, Indeed. as John says. Um, now a question, if we are perhaps more in a position of receiving communion, uh, mm-hmm. not administering it necessarily, uh, and perhaps, so perhaps we don't actually um, have, I don't know, have control over what yeah. that process, what the, For sure. what the sacrament uh, may be like. How can we position ourselves... Let me ask it this way. How do we avoid this becoming a routine? How is this, you know, uh, different different churches do this on uh, diff- at different intervals. Some are the, you know, every single week. Others are once a quarter and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but how does this n- not become just a, yeah, we check the box. This is part of our service today. Uh, I think for me, um, 
what has helped me besides studying this and so that even when it happens and I'm just, you know, back in row 12 and, you know, whatever, um, that as I partake, I'm... I'm receiving, I'm so aware of this is a very mm-hmm. intimate moment. Yeah. But so that it doesn't become routine. So that's part of it. Yeah. The other part is, frankly, um, as you know, I, I take communion often, probably more often outside of the Sunday service where mm-hmm. I go. Yeah. Um, and, and that is in the context of a meal, that's in the context with friends. Sometimes it's just, not often, but sometimes it's just me. Yeah. Um, and I think for me that has been helpful to keep it from being uh, just that. Yeah. And you know, it's been harder. The COVID thing. Don't you find it hard? One of the hardest things about that little cup <laughs> is getting a cotton picking <laughs> wafer out of the top. You know, my wife calls them Jesus Lunchables because oh, uh, yeah. it's just like those lunch packs you, yeah. you peel off the top. And hopefully we'll we'll move away from that. Indeed. But that when I have people sitting in my living room. And I'll, I'll share a little of this, mm-hmm. and, and somebody else will say, well, who else has got something? And, and somebody will share a scripture, or I'll say, would you read for us yeah. that passage from yeah. John 6? Or and that's, that's one thing that the, the living room gathering can, can do that uh, a larger corporate gathering can't, yeah. where it becomes more participatory yes. uh, from everyone involved. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Um, Dare I ask how many more weeks will be in 26? This is a long chapter. This is really going on. I, I will will be done by the summer. This, this <laughs> Excellent. No, I, I think that uh, of necessity, I really yeah. weighed with, do I do this as a segment, what I did today as a segment, and then carry on? Yeah. But no, it's, it's just too, too central. Too important. Yeah. So frankly, we will probably move pretty quickly through the rest of 26, which yeah. has got a lot of great stuff in it. Uh, I'll slow down at Gethsemane. Mm. Uh, All right. But... Uh, <laughs> Um, but I think probably I'm, I'm hoping I can do it in one more yeah. week. Well, and I'll tell you, uh, no rush on our listeners' part because I continue to hear from listeners. Thanks for writing to us uh, just about how much you guys are enjoying this and how much you're gaining from from this podcast. So uh, it's been a great blessing to folks. So thank you all so much for being with us today. Uh, please don't forget impactnations.com/refugee. Uh, be a part of this rescue, this urgent, urgent rescue mission right now. Um, and uh, just one more plug for the conference in May. We've got the Beautiful Gospel Conference, May 11th to 14. If you haven't registered yet, head there now, beautifulgospelconference.com or impactnations.com. It's, you can get there both ways. Um, but click register. Uh, come join us. Share a meal with us. Uh, we, we're doing breakfast together. We're doing lunches together. A bunch of us are hopping on a bus heading up to Santa Fe together. And there's going to be lots of excellent, excellent teaching and time for meditation. You don't want to miss it. And um, great networking. Yeah. I had two people yesterday when I was out meeting with different pastors and stuff talk about the power of networking. Indeed. And you know what? I know for a fact there are many listeners to the podcast that we've never met. We've at least certainly not met in person. Some of you have written me before, but I've never never laid eyes on you. I would love to meet you. So if you haven't met us in person, this is a great opportunity to do that. Uh, we'd love for you to come down uh, and uh, and see what it's all about here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we're here every Thursday night at 6 p.m. on the YouTube and the Facebook, uh, or you can get the audio delivery to your device with your favorite podcast app. Just head to impactnations.com slash podcast to do that. Um, but do subscribe uh, to either the YouTube channel or the, the audio channel so you can get that every single week. We will be back again next week with a little bit more of Matthew chapter 26. God bless you. God bless you.